0: Do you ever wonder what happened to your friends from high school? I mean, you were so close. You laughed together, you cried together, you shared some of the best years of your lives together. And yet, somehow through life, you just lost touch. Now it's time to relive those moments once again. Introducing the podcast that takes you back in time to the place where it all began. This is Class Reunion. We're bringing you all the gossip, secrets, and scandals from your high school days that you won't want to miss. Join us as we catch up with old classmates and dive into the wildest stories from our high school days. From those legendary parties to the infamous cliques, we're spilling all the tea on who's who and what really went down. So grab a seat, turn your volume up, and get ready for a trip down memory lane class reunion the podcast that reunites us all Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Class Reunion. I am excited about my guest today. I have been waiting to speak with him for a variety of reasons, uh, but um, I'm thrilled to have Eric Daniel on. He's a wonderful husband, father, but most importantly, an excellent screenwriter, and he will be having his first debut in the theaters August 18th. So I'm very excited and proud of what he has accomplished in LA and looking forward to talking to him about it. So welcome, Eric. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you.
1: Good see
0: you for everyone's benefit either who don't know groves or you and i in our relationship you're you were a year younger god bless you and yeah. <laughs> and uh but we both went to groves together and i just asked if you talked to my mom a lot there and you said yes so i definitely uh look forward to talking to people in your class because we all were in it together and I remember a lot of your classmates and currently the 40th is going on for my upperclassmen and uh so you're two years behind so buckle up and get ready buddy right
1: (laughs) yeah am I two years am I two years behind you or or one year behind you
0: no but you'll be it's it's the 40th is now for 83 I'm next year and then you'll be oh gotcha gotcha
1: gotcha yeah Year,
0: okay. but yeah. the 1983 is in is in uh, Bur- Birmingham, Michigan, right now celebrating. It's a five day event.
1: Okay. Oh. We're not
0: going to be able no. to pull that off.
1: Get ready, get, get my mind ready for that. Yeah, <laughs> See if yeah. I can make it out.
0: So I was recalling going back in the yearbook for sure. And man, every sport you played: baseball, football, basketball. You were on all three. Yeah, and you were on varsity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think baseball, I tailed off toward the – I think I stopped after my junior year just because I was like, you know, kind of over it. But football and basketball for sure. Football was yeah. really my thing. Yeah. So I just really had a great time with that at Groves. And, and we had a really great great group, great team last year was yeah. there in my senior year. And I, I played a lot, you know, with varsity on junior year as well. So I think a couple yeah. guys in, in your grade had injuries. So I kind of moved up a little bit and had some big moments. Yeah.
0: As awesome. And I always talk to a few of the the people I've already interviewed about the Pontiac Silverdome, which A, was classic because it's no longer there. And B, you know, to play in, you know, our NFL team's stadium was got to be cool for a high school kid.
1: No, it was awesome. And that, that I think was like my big kind of, you know, breakthrough into like varsity because I played a little bit here and there. I think uh, I think Dennis Rauta was in your grade, right? He was a, a, yes. a linebacker ahead of me and he had... He had some injuries with his knee, and it was unfortunate for him. But I, I remember, like that Silverdome game was like one of my first games starting, and you know, like I think I made the first tackle on a kickoff and the first tackle on defense. You just to hear your name, oh god Silverdome, yes, with the, so li- cool. the Lions played, like you're kind of floating a little bit. So for sure, uh, and and I and, and you know, I, I think I had a fumble recovery for a touchdown in my junior year. So that kind of really like kind of jazz me up a little bit to be ready for skiing here,
0: And we all went to the games. I mean, it was universal. Every group didn't matter. Like we religiously yeah. went to those football games and, the sound of that must have been incredible too.
1: Yeah, and we're the you know I'm a Lions guy, I'm a Detroit sports fan guy, so I mean yeah. we, we, I remember seeing the, the Pistons in the Silverdome, so yeah. you know that that was awesome. Oh, that was that And great. we're playing, C, yeah, and we're playing Seahome, which is our rival, so it was like you know you didn't have to really work too hard to get ready for that. So yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Was yeah. there
0: any uh, moment that sticks out in high school, good or bad that that you remember? So when you think about Groves, and and we talked about this a little bit like part of the whole reason we're doing this is you just forget and you move on in your adult life and it's like all of a sudden to go back and go oh my gosh i do remember this event or this happened or this party so if you have any of those to to share
1: yeah i mean look i lo- i really enjoyed grows that was great a great time you know in high school and just the friends you make and all the you know the connections that kind of last you the rest of your life so i really have a lot of really good memories i mean both from football and sports and all that you know in terms of like social stuff i mean there was a lot of really good parties in fact i had a pretty legendary party myself that uh <laughs> I, I you know it's funny to still talk about it now because like you know parents and my mom was out of town and of course I had, we i lived on i lived on lacer across from country day and somehow like the word got out about it and literally like everybody came i mean not just groves but several other schools were there and it just got way out of control i remember a couple guys wrestling and putting a hole in my wall and you know just went all the way through <laughs> the night to like i mean just n- ridiculous to the point where like when i went to michigan state i was meeting people who were like oh wait i was at your party at you know such and such state," and like, it just was pretty legend for a while.
0: <laughs> How much trouble did you get in?
1: A, a little bit. Like, you know, it was one of those all-nighters where you, like, you know, all your friends who are still hanging around, like, go to the store or wherever's open, get some cleaner. We got to, you know, but, you know, it was pretty evident. I mean, my mom was, you know, she was a working mom and out there, and I think she was in, uh, traveling in New York for a business and all that and came back, and there was some evidence of it, but we did a pretty good job of, of cleaning up. But that was, like, the one big kind of blowout I had that, like, I mean, I'm not kidding. Everybody, I met people for a long time who like, I didn't know from high school, but that, that showed up that night. So
0: That's that wild. was one.
1: But yeah, know, I mean, yeah, we. I remember probably junior sophomore year. You know, because I used to hang out with a bunch of guys like Perry Richards and uh yeah. you know, Sean Dunlovey who passed unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, Gucciani and I used to be really good, really tight back then. Mm-hmm. Paul Rice Tech all these guys, Mark Karcher. and you know, we would. Do- <laughs> We There would be no place to go, right? You want to go drink and go hang out. So for a while, like, because I lived across from Country Day, they had these trails down there, right? Yeah. So somebody would get somebody to go buy beer and we'd all go just sit and, like, drink in the woods, basically. That was, like, with the spot. But it was, like, this little kind of hidden, you know, kind of (laughs) oasis mine mine was beverly
0: park and and what we would do is remember the bartles and james (laughs) Pine
1: coolers yeah yeah yeah
0: and we would buy them early and then we would stick them under the trees at the park and then come back i mean we drank them warm which is disgusting but yeah that's what we did (laughs) we stash it off for later and then we'd show up at the park and and drink there so those trails are always a good good spot
1: yeah, yeah, because I mean, if you know, if you had no house to go to, if someone's paying for it away that week or whatever, you know, that's what you would do, right? So and, and um, all
0: the people that no. sold to us, come on, I mean, that would never oh, happen yeah. today. That the bloody no, die, no, like yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Well, everybody had like a an older sibling or a friend with, you know, a brother or whatever, and yeah. But even back then, see, see, my year. What was great was I was nineteen sixty-seven, right? So it was super easy to take the pencil and turn it into a two on our old license. Cause it wasn't like laminated or whatever. Yes. You put a little hairspray on it. Right. Yes. So, it, you know, if you had skills, you know, you could literally do it in a couple seconds and walk in and go buy beer or coolers or whatever, you know? So that was like the, the 67 to a two 62. I, I'm, to the point where I think it was permanently a two for a long time on my license. Yeah.
0: Well, do you remember yeah. Tally Hall? I think it was called in Bloomfield.
1: Yeah, like the food court thing. Yeah,
0: yeah there was a, a photo shop thing. And that's where you got all your fake IDs made. So I had a fake okay. ID and I got it from tally Hall. It was easy. And how stupid <laughs> is that? But. it it worked so you were kind enough to say nothing's off limits what i would love to explore because i can't speak to it is what it was like to be in a predominantly white school system um yeah how how did that impact you and both good and bad i I would love to know your perspective
1: you know it was look it's all good you know for uh, for the most part just because first of all you're you're, you know you're just a kid and you just want to like have fun and and you know yeah be like everyone else i mean you know, I came to Birmingham, I think I was in third grade. I ended up going to Bingham Farms mm-hmm. and I lived in Detroit before then. And, um, you know, my mom and dad, my my mom and stepdad were together and both working lawyers and all that. And they were the schools were so bad in Detroit at the time that they had sent me to Roper, you know, private school which was already kind of out in the burbs and it was like if we're spending this money to send them out to there why don't we just move out to the suburbs right so that's how I ended up in, in, in Birmingham and my parents and my little sister and I you know so ended up at Bingo Farms and you know at that age I mean third grade you're just like trying to like fit in and, and hang out and that's kind of what I did and met a lot of really good friends then that still like lasted all the way through high school and, and college but it's always a little different when you're not like everybody else you know there's stuff that comes up more or less like definitely toward like high school age where you yeah. know you have to kind of you know be reminded sometimes of that so you know like our high school only had well a handful of black kids at that time so a that handful. was always a unique kind of thing yeah so yeah you know i never had like i can't say that i had like direct hardcore like racism in my face but you know every now and then certain words would drop and you'd be like you know not in a way that it was like attacking but there was just a lot of ignorance you know yeah. So there'd be phrases or something that would be said and I would have to, I'd have to call attention to that, you know? And it, it, you know, it just, it's one of those things where like, you're hanging out with somebody who you consider a friend and then somebody says something and it like, it, it reminds you that you're a little bit different. Right. So yeah. that was common, that kind of experience. I'd say every, you know, few weeks we'd hear something like that and I would always bring it up, but that wasn't like the point where anybody like directed it at me. Cause that would have been like fights for real, like back then, you know, I've never had that kind of situation, but, you know, I would think anyone in that situation, black, Asian, Latin, gay, whatever, growing up in that kind of situation, you you know, you get a little more guarded. Right. So and in that sense, I was always kind of aware, you know, so It was. I mean, that was that was always kind of the unique little difference. And I also knew like, you know, at that point in high school, I mean, my mom was a single mom, working mom. And I was like, you know, I kind of stayed out of trouble and and sports was a big way to help me do that. I mean, I definitely had my parties and drinking days and all that, but I didn't want to be a black kid who was like causing trouble in school and, you know. And I don't want to represent my mom that way. And I don't want to be that kind of, you know, image of, you know, the troubled black kid. You know, I was always kind of aware of that. And it would be funny sometimes, too, like, you know, if there was like a new student, somebody's like, oh, you got to meet such and such. You guys should hang out. You guys should date. And I'm like, we should date? Like, OK, there must be a new black girl in school. <laughs> but I didn't want to be like, you know, the soap opera of one black couple. You know, like I never was that was not my thing, you know, to like, you know, be what everybody kind of wanted or expected. So. Probably unfairly because, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of cool people I should have hung out with more. But it's just one of those things that that stuck with me.
0: Yeah. I, and I value it because I was looking back, of course, reminiscing in the yearbook. And I was like, this is just so pasty white. It had to have been incredibly difficult. Yeah, yeah. But the, in, the interesting part is from my naive perspective, and I think a lot of us shared that we didn't get the challenges because we didn't really notice it. It was just a very interesting thing to look back and say, gosh, I didn't look at Eric as the black kid in school. I knew Eric Daniel. But, I mean, truly, I feel dumb looking back going, God, I didn't give him enough grace or compassion to realize what a unique situation he was in. I just knew he was my football player in varsity.
1: Right. Well, I mean, yeah. And that's the thing. Like, you know, first of all, like, I don't think anybody really necessarily wanted to feel that way. Like, you know, I, you know, and I was, I had. I was very popular, had a lot of friends, and the homecoming court, and you know, yeah. sports and all that. Right. But you know, you do know, like just just dating for. I mean, I I remember dating the girl, and her father never spoke to me like the whole time we dated, like we went out for months or whatever, and like yeah. wouldn't say hello, wouldn't acknowledge me, and you know, that was that was like in your face, like like for an example, like I remember going to a prom, someone else, another school's prom, a girls' prom. I think it was a problem or homecoming or something. And we, this is how bad it was. And this like sounds terrible in hindsight, but this was like actually, you know, thing. Like I was her date and it was, you know, all white girls and everything. It was a group of people. And I, we took pictures with like four or five couples. And then we, we all got in the limo. And then like on the way to where we were going, like we made a stop. And one of the dudes, one of the other dates, got out of the car and then another guy got in a black guy got in and then we kept going to the party and like, no one ever really said anything. I'm like, wait a minute. Like that was, that was her boyfriend, the black guy. The other guy oh. was like a, a chill <laughs> took pictures with the families and like, they didn't know who she was dating. And like, it was just okay. That like, oh. we swapped in this uh, <laughs> random white guy. So <laughs> oh. boyfriend was, you know, so like that sounds insane. And that's, like, the kind of stuff that. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I should probably literally like write about stuff like that because it happened and like no one else notices that. But as for me, I'm like, this is kind of messed up, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah that kind of stuff always resonated you know it never it never was something that i considered like an obstacle but i was aware of it so you know so many great friends or you know white friends from from high school in michigan state that that's who i am and who i grew up with but you know of course my family doesn't look like that and you know and all that in detroit and all over all around and so it was just kind of this dichotomy you kind of got used to switching you know and and being in different environments and even in michigan state like i knew i was never going to go join a fraternity because i wasn't going to join a white fraternity but i didn't feel comfortable being so solely in a black fraternity as well, just because of, you know, where I went to school. So for better or worse, I mean, that was the choice I made.
0: That's what I was going to ask you, Eric is, and that's such an interesting thing. Like you didn't feel like you belonged to solely in one or the other, because I would imagine you also were teased within the black community. Like, Oh, you're Mr. White suburb now.
1: Yeah. That I'd say that only happened on the football field. Really? (laughs) You know, like when we played a black school, I would hear it a little bit, but it just kind of made me want to play even better. You know, I mean, you know what are you gonna do that's just kind of who you are right
0: a little jab and you move on
1: and and that yeah and i just think the question like for 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 me it was always like you know something that you wouldn't have to deal with or any you know else Is like if something if you get rejected for something you know whether it's a, a date or you know a teacher or whatever you there's a little thing the back to that, Is it because of is that a factor of because of you know what i look like is different than what everybody else looks like right so or you, am i being treated differently yeah. in that sense you don't think about it too much until something jumps out at you. Rose was, for the most part, everybody was, I think, a little bit more conscious maybe than some places, but it, it would never, you know, every now and then something would happen and I'd just be like, this is messed up, and, you know, that's not cool to say that or whatever it is. I mean, to the point where, like, literally, I think there were people that didn't know I was black. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm much more tanner than everybody else, but, like, at Michigan State, there was, like, people that I didn't know at all. And guys were like, wait, you don't know? You can't tell? that. <laughs> So that's a weird thing. Sometimes we get to, like, you know, what, what, what are you? That kind of thing. So, you know, I look Latin, I look Hawaiian or whatever it was. But, you know, even when I yeah. went to, this is funny, but even when I went to New York and started working for Spike Lee's crew, there was a couple guys named Eric. And my nickname was Hawaiian Eric because I guess I looked Hawaiian to that. Interesting. Whatever it was. <laughs> but it was funny. I mean, I embraced it and just kind of ran with it. So that's a whole nother thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How did, How did you do the contrast with, your children then? And is it also a little less shocking? Cause I mean, LA is a melting pot, right? So, um, but you yeah. still have to have that subject of race, but is it, was it different than how you were well, raised? Well,
1: it's, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it's always different. I mean, look, our kids are growing up in, in a much more aware environment, you know, especially with social media, but LA is different in the sense of like, like I lived in New York for a long time after, after college and New York is, of course, super diverse and, you know, groups kind of have to kind of come together where LA is like, you're in your car you drive to your house, you go to work and people don't interact as much. And there are different groups and LA has got a very different culture in the sense of like, you know, there's black culture, there's Latin, mostly Mexican culture, there's white neighborhoods and, and, and all that. And it just doesn't interact as much as it should. And, you know, my wife is Puerto Rican, which is, you know, of course in New York, you know, prevalent, but in LA, it's not. So, you know, we've got black Puerto Rican kids going to LA schools that are predominantly either, you know, a mixture of everybody, but the Latin side is mostly Mexican. So they, and my daughter, my kids' names are Lucia and Mateo. So it's pretty much assumed most of the time that they're Mexican until they meet them and and know who they are, which is fine, but it's just, uh, it's just a different thing. And Blacks and Latins in, in L.A. don't necessarily naturally connect like they do in New York, which is just a different thing.
0: So let's talk about New York. Did you go directly from Michigan State to, to New York? or
1: I did, yeah. yeah. And is that where you I, met Tracy, your wife? I did, yeah. I was getting into entertainment. I mean, uh, you know, I always knew I wanted to get into entertainment, which actually, it's funny because this goes back to Groves. Because really, I'll, I'm going to go way back first. When I really first learned that I really was attracted to it, I took a... I, I remember it was the last term senior year and uh, me and and my friend Perry Richards were looking at an elective. We had to take an elective just to fill out. And I had no idea. I just learned looking at it that there was a TV studio in Groves high school. So there was like a TV production class and like, I'm like, okay, cool. Let's take that. And I took that class. And that's one of those stories. that's really strange because I loved it. I loved the class. It really kind of sparked it for me. And, you know, I just started getting really creative and, uh, most kids were doing like interviews and little talk shows or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, I like wrote, like, you know, first of all, we, I did a whole MTV, right? So not only did we have like the, the the music video VJs, but I did three music videos. So Perry and I did like easy lover. I did, you know, we are the world video where we use like 20 of our classmates. And, you know, it, like we had hosts, like Renee Sharon and Craig Earl who got married and have a, Beautiful family. They were our DJs, so I did all that and like. There was, I, that's one of those situations where I had a teacher who really did not support that and didn't see that in me, and I. It's one of the things I was always wondering: is there an issue there? Because then, like, I I wrote like a murder mystery that I was shooting, and I wrote something else. So this was the crazy thing. And this might've been one of the times where I ran into your mom in the office was, I remember we had some classes that were in the TV studio and some that were in the classroom and it would switch up and I would always get mixed up. And I was pretty habitually tardy all the time anyway, but I went to the, I had like the maximum amount of tardies and I went to the studio instead of the classroom. But I was like deep in that class. I was doing some really, you know, big stuff at that time for that age group. And I was in the middle of shooting like the murder mystery. And I went to the, the studio instead of the class. And when I, by the time I got to class, it was like my last party. And then the teacher was like, That's it. You're whatever, kicked out. Go see the principal. And I was just pissed because I was like, you know, she and she I remember like literally the first script that I wrote was for that group and I think for that class. And I think she gave me like a D because she said it was I was trying to do too much basically. It was too ambitious or whatever it was, right? And it's like, Are you kidding me? Like I just like wrote like <laughs> I know. So, like, it was just a weird thing, right? So I, so, I slammed the door and I think it bounced back open. I just cursed her out. Like, I laid in, you know, as I'm walking down the hall, I'm like, yeah, you know, B word, whatever. Yeah. So, Yeah. and then I remember I got stopped in the hallway because the other teacher heard me and it was Mr. Buck, who was my favorite teacher. And he was also oh, my favorite Awesome. Teacher. Yes. So, and major court cases was literally my favorite class the whole time. Mm-hmm. So, if there was mm-hmm. any, if there was ever a really positive teacher for me at Groves, it was Bob, it was mr buck and i just saw him as like you know because i only played defense in football he was like you know such a great kind of role model for me so he kind of calmed me down but by the time i got to the office that was it like she had heard what i said and i ended up getting kicked out of i, I could never finish that class i got like a uh, you know in, what do you call it incomplete or whatever. Incomplete. so the incomplete. one thing that i was really really good at and like excelling at like she didn't let me back in the class and like that kind of in a weird way fueled me because I liked it but I didn't get the support in that class from that particular teacher but I was like screw this I'm going to keep going after that so
0: I saw some premiere tickets <laughs> uh to that teacher and have her right, right, exactly.
1: you know it's like you know you want you want to find those kids who are like really into it and like not yeah. knock them for trying to do other stuff but yeah so yeah so when I went to Michigan State I already kind of had like an inkling that I want to get into that so when I was a communications major, I started working in the tele- television production side right away and, you know, did some really cool stuff there. There was a show that started when I was there that I think literally still runs on, on MSU. MSU called this Show, but it was like set up in a kid's dorm room and all that. Mm. And I uh, met a lot of friends there working on that. So that was like the TV production side. And then when my family had moved, my mom and my sister had moved to New York.
0: Okay. So was oh, well, that's what prompted it. Summers.
1: Okay. Yeah. So in the summers, I was going to New York city. And, um, one summer, I think after my sophomore year, I interned at NBC, uh, which was like, you know, just working out there and like by Letterman studios and, and the today show and all that. It. Um, but then I had heard, yeah, which was cool. It wasn't really my thing, but it was, it was definitely, it was like being almost like a page there. Um, but then I had heard about Spike Lee when I was there that summer and like someone had told me about him and he's doing more movies and stuff. And, he had just made his first couple of movies. So when I went back to Michigan state, I had I made some contact and just started sending out resumes and, and like letters and stuff. And they called me and said, you know, next time you're in New York, why don't you come into the office for an interview? And I went out there and like, you know, it's funny cause you're like kind of trained to go, you know, in a suit and all that. But when you get into like the entertainment world, it's like free for all, right. It's just whatever uh, yeah. you know, everybody's doing. So I showed up in my suit and there's a couple other people trying to look all good. And they were like, yeah, okay. You're hired. We're, we're making a movie this summer. And, uh, um, when you get out of school, you know, let us know and you'll be there. So I was an intern, you know, I wasn't making any money at first. It was just straight out of my junior year at Michigan state. I went to New York and started working on do the right thing as an intern. And it just was was such an eye-opening thing. So yeah, it was great. And like, who knew, right? Like not only was it my first film experience, but to end up being on this film, that's such, such, such a, iconic part of like cinema history right so yes you um, were right there in the yes. beginning
0: forefront like that's that's mm-hmm. i'm not in your field but it just does seem like sometimes there's those serendipitous connections that just launch people and you know absolutely it, it's what makes it like the great american dream and then there are those that are super talented that didn't have those connections that think like gosh why not me it must be so hard
1: well it's a hard it's a hard field to break into definitely yeah But what I, what I found back then, and you know, if you, if you want it and you work at it and you're good at it and you put in the time, it pays off. So, you know, I worked on do the right thing, met a lot of, I mean, it's funny because a lot of people from that particular crew and, and subsequent Spike Lee movies, I still am really good friends with. And they're nice. Most of them are in LA, some are still in New York, but they're producing, they're writing, they're directing, they're acting. And, you know, like, I mean, literally like, You know, Ruth Carter was the wardrobe designer. She's won two Oscars now for Black Panther. So, you know, I mean, there's just people who have done legendary things that we worked with who were like, it was like a family. And, you know, of course, for Spike, it was all about providing opportunities for people that didn't usually get those opportunities. So we had extremely diverse group. I mean, you know, a lot of Black crew members who didn't get those opportunities. Even like, just at that time, it was very hard just to get into union jobs, like as a camera person or a lighting person or, you know, the grips and all that. So... He always made sure every department was populated with a diverse crew. And, you know, whether they were PA, production assistants or interns or just like the third grip or whatever, it would be like someone who's black or Latin or whatever. And it was a super diverse mix. And th- that was the kind of boost he provided for people, like just, you know, putting them in that position. And what I, for me, like I had already kind of started in the idea of maybe going to film school, but then I realized like I was going to the set, I had like the, the, the dailies of what we were going to shoot that day, the script pages. Um, Mm -hmm. so I like kind of visualize in my mind, I would be on set. Sometimes I'd be like a stand in for someone and, you know, I'd be like right there, watch them shoot the scene with Spike and his great cinematographer, Ernest Dickerson, and like really see that. And then the end of the day, he did something that was really kind of rare was it would be like a little shuttle van that if you wanted to go see the footage from the day before, you could go see it. Right. So I did that every day. And a lot of us did. We would just go and, you know, have a beer and go watch these, you know, actors you know danny aiello and Ozzy davis and sam jackson and you know um just amazing john taturo amazing performances literally every scene every piece of footage right like we would see every take and i'm like okay so now i understand how he's making this movie like you know i see the the script pages i, I see how they shoot it i see raw footage and i'm like this is how it's done so that became film school for me right you need someone to show you that something's possible right so yeah. i think he made everyone feel like this is possible especially if you're black and then trying to get in the industry and all that. So we we were all making like short films and music videos and stuff like on the side, like after that, you know, and if I, I made a short film and I would call guys from the crew who worked in every department who came out for free for a weekend and helped out. And, you know, um, I mean, like I said, my, my wife, I mean, we met, she was a casting associate. She did all the extras casting, I think, for Spike from Do the Right Thing to Malcolm X, like four movies and bang, bang, bang. He was making a movie every year. Which was great because when i graduated from michigan state i went right to working on spike's next movie mo better blues so we already had this kind of relationship as a family to work together um and then uh, my wife tracy you know we started dating after mo better i think and then like when i came out here to la she came out about halfway through and then left for permanently about a year later but you know we both like didn't have any connections here really but the doors were opening and the opportunities were there and she stopped yeah. She had stopped working as a casting director. She started acting. So, yeah. you know, we both just didn't, we were a little bit ignorant in the sense of like, no one told us we can't do this. So we just kind of did it. Right. And for me, what happened was I, I had made a short film and, you know, like a lot of people were doing. And I, you know, just kind of put it out in film festivals. It did very well. It we won some awards and stuff. And a uh, Tracy, uh, who's my girlfriend then, had met a producer and she was like, oh, you should show him your, you know, you should look at my boyfriend's film, whatever. And he looked at it and he was like, hey, that's pretty good. You should write a feature. And this will Tell you how long ago it was. He was looking to, for something for the rap group Crisscross. So remember the kids with like the backwards pants, for
0: sure. like, you know, yes. jump and
1: all that, right? So I was like, okay, this. I've, I've always been like, if somebody tells me a little something like, here's an opportunity, I'm gonna just jump at it, right? I'm gonna go for it. So I literally went away and like wrote the script with like these two kids as leads, and I based it on the fact that like when we were growing, when I was growing up in Michigan, my mom. Had become a juvenile court judge even when we lived in birmingham but she was still remember. working with kids yeah well she was kids and working with kids in detroit and to the point where like it, kids were some kids were coming through that were kind of bad in the system and it was just burnt her out but she took one kid who she saw a lot of potential in and for like a, a while he came and stayed with us in birmingham like he lived oh, with us for, nice. for months and uh it was just like a, you know a, a good experience and it kind of opened my eyes a little bit it gave me another person that looked like me to kind of, you know, reflect off of. So I took that scenario and I wrote my first screenplay and I took the two kids that made them leads and they both had different information about stuff that's going on in their areas. And it was a crime that was going on. And they both, when they came together, they kind of figured out this little crime mystery of who was bringing drugs into Canada from Detroit, right? So oh. that was the first script that I wrote. That was the little drug smuggling ring that they kind of knew people on both sides of who were involved. And these kids figured out a little mystery, right? So like, yeah. a, like a Black Hardy Boys kind of thing. I so, was just um, going
0: to say that. That's so funny you used yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's kind of the first feature that I wrote. And by the time I wrote it, like crisscross Cross wasn't as hot as they were. So he was like, just send it out. Send it out to some places. And friends had told me about different programs. And I sent it out to Disney. And, you know, I was working in New York. At that point, I was doing mostly music videos and commercials as an assistant director and I thought that would be my path to stay in New York and work in indie film. And then that script got the attention of Disney. And they said, why don't you fly out for an interview and I, to, for this fellowship program, a writer's fellowship program. So I flew out. Still didn't really think anything was going to happen with it. Had a really good interview, which is another crazy story. Because on my interview, the taxi came and picked me and another writer up. And I was supposed to take us to Disney Studios. And it took us to Disneyland, like literally the theme park. Stop. Like, <laughs> like an hour away. So we missed our interview, right? <gasps> so, I know. We flew all the way out from New York. I was like on a red eye the next day because I had a music video I was going to do, but they were like, oh, you know, where are you guys? I'm like, we're at Disneyland. Eric. You know, like, what are you doing there? I'm like, not doing rides. We're trying to find you guys. So the fact that I kind of, like the other <laughs> writer was kind of bitter and, and she wasn't happy about it, but I just kind of played it off and everybody kind of like, you know, responded to me well, well that I handled that experience well and I ended up Having a good interview. And um, I remember the cab ride back because I flew out that night. The cab ride from Disney Studios, I had my suitcase with me. And to the airport was the first time as we're driving through, like, L.A. and the hills where I was like, I think I'm going to move to L.A. Like, this is going to happen. Like, I, it didn't really hit me until then. Really? And, and sure enough, like, you know, yeah. Like, you know, I mean, because, you know, you're, you're on one track, right? You think. Well, in New York is
0: great. You're, you're having great opportunities. So it wasn't like you were starving yeah. for. For it, you were already in the entertainment industry. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, no question. Yeah. I mean, I was actually making more money as an AD than I made that first year in that program, but it was an opportunity. So, and I, I came out here, and fortunately, I had an idea in my head already about what I wanted to write, and I had already started researching it. So, in my interview, I pitched that idea, and I think they responded to it as well. So, um, a few months later, you know, they hired me, and I had a one year program to come to. LA. Still thinking I'd go back to New York and work and film there. But
0: you had this in you. You you actually have had this in you. Yeah. Like your ability to write and tell yeah. stories has been something from back in high school. Like that's amazing. It just seems to be very yeah. part of your DNA.
1: That's that's what kind of it came from. And I mean, even my first short film was a from a short story I had written while I was in a creative writing class in Michigan State. So, you know, and when you start to see results from something that you like to do, and people are responding, or your your short film is winning awards or whatever it is, they're like, wait a minute, this is something that I'm kind of a little good at. So, um, yeah. So then, you know, I came out to LA and and I had one year. and You're actually, you're supposed to write two screenplays, but I knew what I wanted to write. And, you know, I was, for me as a writer, it's always easier to write what you like, what you enjoy, what you know. And I've always liked baseball. I've always been interested in Black history, right? So I was going
0: to get to that. I remember, yep.
1: Yep. yeah. Well, for me, that's what it was, and it was like number forty-two I I an interview. Yeah, I was watching an interview about I was like the the uh, history of Jackie Robinson and whatever. They were t- it was his anniversary of him crossing the color line, and they were talking to different players, and everybody was respectful, but there was one player, Vince Coleman, who was kind of like, oh, "He doesn't mean nothing to me, right?" Like, I, he doesn't, I don't. You know, he didn't have any connection. Like, that's I can't say anything about Jackie Robinson. I'm like, this dude right here has no idea what Jackie Robinson went through. What about if a guy like that was put in this position, how would he react? And that's when, like, the, the light bulb moment came on. So that was my first script I wrote for a studio when I was in that program. It was brushback, and it was a modern-day, cocky, major league black baseball player with a lack of respect for the history of the game you know, and also a little friction with his father about the way that he plays. He gets hit by a pitch and the unconscious, and when he wakes up, it's 1945. He's on the Kansas City Monarchs in the old Negro Baseball Leagues alongside Satchel Paige and Jackie Robinson, these legends, where he's this cocky guy who thinks modern-day ways and does modern-day stuff, and now he's put in this position with guys who never got any of that money or fame. So that was my pitch. That was my first script. And I had researched it. Like, even when I came across country, I had stopped in Kansas City and met some of the Negro League players and went to the museum. And so I was ready. Like, I really, you know, kind of knew that world. And I wrote that script, which basically was like, you know, I always wanted to write light, fun stuff. It was like Back to the Future meets Field of Dreams. And that's what the script was. As my one year was ending, I just focused. I was supposed to write a second script, but I was like, I'm focusing on this because I have something. And I... I had another year where I could still take the, I had a year where I could shop the script around and try to make something happen. Otherwise it went back to Disney like forever. So, um, that's when I just like picked up the phone and hit up all production contacts that I had. And it just kind of started from there. And fortunately I worked a lot of music videos. We, I got it to uh, John Singleton's company, the late director. Yes. And I had also, uh, um, my wife Tracy and I had worked with uh, Will Smith's company on music videos. So we got it to Will Smith's company, and independently, they both loved it. So at one point, Will Smith and John Singleton had a meeting, and somehow my script came up, and they both knew it, and they were like, they wanted to work on it together. And this, again, will tell you how long ago it was. Will was just coming off of Fresh Fresh prints. and I think... Oh, wow. Um, Bad Boys. Yeah, Bad Boys had come out, but Independence Day hadn't come out yet. So this is how long ago this was. Anyway, they loved it. John Singleton was blowing up. So the first call I got was like that real kind of Hollywood moment phone call where they were like, Sony wants to option your screenplay. John Singleton's going to produce and maybe direct and Will Smith is going to star. And I'm like, let's go. I'm in whatever. Let's Shit, do it. So Eric. that was like, yeah, that was about six months after the program ended and that was my first script option sale. So, you know, that movie like had a long life in development and, you know, I was a really young writer, you know, at the time. So, they, As Hollywood tends to do, they would hire other writers. I did my rewrites, and then they had other writers to come on and do rewrites, and then uh, it didn't go at Sony. But Will Smith always loved that script. So when he got a deal at Fox, he took it with him with his deal to Fox. So then my script went from Disney to Sony to Fox. Fox had an option, which is like a rental period. And when that option was running out, they basically said we're gonna option again. I I was at a point where I was like, you know what? Can we maybe let it go? And I'll take there's other actors coming up now. If it doesn't go at Fox, maybe I can shop it around. So I was like, tell them to either let it go or buy it, thinking they would probably let it go, but they bought it, which is a nice big paycheck, which is great. The downside of that is that you really don't have any control over
0: it anymore. So that was gonna be was my developed. follow-up question. Like when you sell yeah. your script is it just then your hands are that's it you've released your baby you know you you pretty
1: much okay yeah yeah it's it's on them you've kind of given up the rights you've taken the the check but um still like another director came on who's a friend of mine Malcolm lee who directed eventually girls trip and a bunch of other movies when he came on he said let's bring eric back because they had hired other writers who had done some work, but they were like, we need to go back to the guy who did some work to it. So I, I did another pass on it down the road, and we came very close to getting that movie made. Ironically enough, Disney bought Fox Studios, so now it's owned by Disney again, so it's gone full circle. So who knows? It's still out there, and I've had conversations with them about it, but maybe one
0: day. I was disappointed because I remember following that journey, you know, you were sharing that on Facebook and I was bummed when, I mean, I was happy for you that it was sold, but I was like, yeah, yeah. I don't know what that's like to constantly sell scripts, but not see them come to fruition. Yeah. There's a little, you know, little d- frustration with that too. Yeah. Like it's great. Like you well, said, the money's yeah, great, course. but you want to see it produced.
1: Yes, the check helps a lot, but you're an artist. So any art you do, you want people to see
0: it. So, you know, you mentioned your your script being sold, but then you were definitely in the graces of Disney again when you had Let It Shine. Yes. And that was fantastic. And it was weird for people that I knew whose kids were watching it. And I was like, you know, but that was written by my friend. So Let It Shine was a a very successful Disney program. That was just a, a great experience.
1: And, you know, having to like, go through the whole process of having been a disney fellow and then you know kind of 360 coming back to disney
0: i hope you enjoyed the episode with eric daniel we had so much to talk about that we will have a part two next week we will dive further into the writer's strike and what the new streaming services have done to eliminate compensation for actors and directors. Once it's left television, it's a very important discussion. And we will also talk about his new release for Tiffany Haddish and Wesley Snipes and many, many more wonderful cast for Back on the Strip. It will be in our theaters August 18th and his first film debut. So we'll be talking about that. Very interesting. So I hope you join us. It's very enlightening. It's going to be a great discussion. We'll see you next week.